as well as the middle schoolers, so there'll be a mass exodus that way, and you can have some elbow room. Well, good morning. My name is Ben Palmer, a.k.a. Lydia's dad, for those who don't know me, and I've uh, had the chance to speak one other time here. <clears throat> and so today we, we close up the series. I'm the closer. I get to come in and and kind of stand on all the hard work that's been done over the past five or six weeks. And we talk about becoming love in this abounding in love series, which leads us right up into Advent as we get ready for Christmas and celebrating the coming of our, our Lord and Savior, celebrating his coming, the love coming in the flesh, which is a pretty powerful concept to grasp. So as we get started this morning, I've got a question. It's a rhetorical question, so don't, don't answer yet. We'll, we'll wait for that a little later. But what compels you? What moves you? You know, love is a powerful force, a compelling force that motivates us to action. It moves us to action. And I, I have a love for a certain thing. It often brings me great joy. It often causes me frustration. It, it, uh, if you've seen this uh, emotion wheel that Justin and Matt have put together, it makes mine spin like the wheel of fortune sometimes. It's a love that I've had my whole life. And just last week, I was able to connect with some. We had the same love, and we were, we were in St. Louis on this trip, and we were able just to connect and talk and, and, and commiserate and remember the good, the good times. This love, it, it really, it chose me before I was born. It's a love that was passed on to me from my father and my brother. And in a way, it still binds us together. It drives many of our conversations. And oftentimes, I've, I've tried to walk away. I've tried to say, I've had enough. That's it. I'm going to walk away from this particular love. But I can't. It draws me back every time. It's crazy. It's a type of love that causes a 44-year-old man to act like a fool at times and do silly, silly things. And as a kid, I got in more than a couple of fights on the playground defending the honor of this love with the enemy. I bet you wonder what it is, right? Bob asked us to be, asked me to, to be personal and share some stories. So this, this is it, right? So can I share with you? And it's embarrassing to some extent, but it's, it's Alabama football. And it, it, it's one of these things, it's, it's been a rough year. <laughs> it's been a rough year. And I find myself three feet from a 70-inch TV, like my heart rate is, I mean, it was 130 in one game. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why can something like this control me, constrain me, and compel me? It has been a good decade or so. But 18 to 22-year-old kids are dictating the joy in my life or the lack thereof it at times. And I've tried, I've really tried to walk away, but I question, like, why does it have such a, a physical, emotional, mental effect on me? And maybe you think it's silly, but there's a lot of Chiefs fans in here, but you don't really get it. You can lose seven or eight games and still go to the playoffs. We lose two, we're done. Yesterday, there was, a, there was a slight bit of hope if, like, four teams lost. Then there was a slight chance that we could make the playoff. But it's, it's over. It's done. So I'm okay now. It's, it's behind me until next year. 
Man, I, I know there are some Huskers fans in here too, so it's, it's just, a, it's interesting, isn't it? Like there's this particular love of something, and I've honestly tried to stop. There's one game, I'm like, that's it, I'm not watching it. I go to the other room on my computer, pull up YouTube TV, I'm watching it again. <laughs> Last week in St. Louis, I'm like, I'm not watching the game. Yeah, I click, click it on and watch it. Like, I can't stop. But that's a love that compels and controls. But it serves, that, that's kind of silly. It's, it's real. It's a real. It's a real love. It's a real thing that we all, or many of us, probably know about. But as we come this morning to God's love, God's love is transforming, it's controlling, it's compelling, it changes us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. If you back up, it talks about if I were a fool or if I were foolish, it's for the love of Christ. So this morning as we come to the last of the series on God's abounding love, we will try to bring it all together under this theme of becoming love, like the outpouring, the application of it. It's a, it's a mountain of a task, but as I've studied over the past few weeks, just here and there, as I don't have the bulk of time that I used to, it's really amazing. If you just read through the Bible, read through the New Testament, and just, just search for love, just search for it. It's everywhere, every, every book. As we get into 1 John this morning, 1 John is particularly packed with, with love. So as we look back, where have we been? Slow to anger, series moved into abounding in love. As we begin in Exodus 34, where God has this description of who he is, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. From there, he went to receiving God's love, or Justin talked about allowing God to love us right where we are in Matthew 3, in the first part of chapter 4, Jesus' baptism. And then Bob went into the powerful passage in Ephesians 2, where it just outlines the gospel, that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But then God, because of the great love with which he loved us, raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. And it goes on to say, for by grace you have been saved. And then next, in our darkest hour, John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And then Justin spoke on Acts 9 and Paul's conversion, being transformed by love. And then last week, Stan Sunday, today, we end up with becoming love. And I don't know where you've been in this series. For me, it felt like as we went through slow to anger and then abounding in love, it felt more like, well, I'm slow to love and abounding in anger. It just caught, brought a lot of it to the surface for me personally. And that's okay. It's where, where I am, it's where you are maybe, and it's where the gospel meets us, it's where Jesus meets us right where we are, right in the thick of our own struggle, our own brokenness, our own sin. And what it shows is that we need Jesus. And if there's anything else that I could do today is just to point us to Jesus. Because we can't work up enough or try hard enough to make this work out. It's got to be him working in us and through us. We're transformed by the gospel. We're transformed by Jesus. We're transformed by the love of Christ for us that we haven't earned. 
So our passage today, and you can turn there if you'd like. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. It'll be on the screen in your few Bibles, the NIV. There's a little difference there, and I'll reference that difference. It's page 1740. <clears throat> this is John, 1 John. John's an interesting author in that if you read through 1 John, and I would give you that as homework, read, read these five chapters, but he says the same thing over and over and over. He's like, like John, didn't you already say this? He's like, Love one another, love one another, love one another. It's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus. So you've got two central themes that he highlights. The central person of Christianity, Jesus, and the central action, love. But John's more of this, this Eastern mindset, the Hebrew mindset of the cyclical. And it's, it's, a, it's a way we learn. Paul is more of this linear writer that writes out A plus B equals C and so on. But as you get to this chapter, chapter 4... The word love is mentioned 30 times in just a little bit over a chapter. <clears throat> but let's, let's read together. And this is the, on the screen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that through him, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would be exalted above all. Lord, I, I feel inadequate for the task to proclaim this truth. Though it's a simple truth, though it's one that we may think we know. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would massage it into our hearts this morning. I pray that you would remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing, that you would remind us of our deep and desperate need for a savior, that we never graduate beyond the simple truth that you love us and that you've called us to love others because it's who you are. You are love. So Lord, grip our hearts, move us, compel us, control us with a love that is perfect and powerful. Lord, move me out of the way, and we pray that we would see Jesus and that we would see him only. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So I got a simple, really simple outline this morning, and this is just the way I like to function. God is love. God loves you. And God's love compels you to love others. And that's it. That's the whole series right there. It's really simple isn't it? <laughs> but it's not, because we struggle grasping some of these things. The foundation of this series that we walk through, God is love, and that he is abounding in it, abundant in it. It goes back to Exodus 34, where it says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Now, this word 
the ESV translates steadfast love. The NIV says love is neither or better than the other, but it's the word, the Hebrew word hesed or kesed, however you want to pronounce it. And it's such a rich word that when the translators of the King James and the Geneva Bible back in the late 1500s, early 1600s, they, they came to this word and they're like, like love is just, it's just not enough. Well, we need, let's do loving kindness was the word. They're trying to get just a little bit more of the nature of this word, that it's rich, and that it, but it means like this covenantal, this promise-making, like this love that binds you to it, this loyal love, this love that produces action, this love that compel, compels, this love that's God reaching down, becoming flesh, and drawing you into relationship with him, this steadfast love. That's the anchor that God is abounding in that. And there's one verse that I love that uh, really shows this. In Psalm 23, you know the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But verse 6 is when it says, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And it's, So it's surely goodness and said will follow me. But what, what's really cool here is that word follow, it's got some stronger meanings to it. The word radaf in Hebrew can also mean to pursue or to persecute. And so follow is, is, is it kind of, I've had this picture of like my dog following me. Actually, my dog pulls me. But anyway, but, but it's much more than that. It's this pursuit of. And maybe you've experienced God's pursuit of you and that his love runs after you. My senior year in college, um, I was backpacking through Europe, and to be honest, I was, I was kind of doing that whole Psalm 139 Jonah thing, like going to the far side of the sea, taking it literally and trying to get, get over there and get away. I knew that God was calling me to go to China after college, but I kind of freaked out and I'm not doing it. And so I kind of went off and with some friends in our school, I had a study center over there, so there was a bunch of us over there for a month, uh, just tramping around the, the country, and well, a bunch of countries. But we were in England for New Year's Eve, just doing what college students do. And there was a group of us. And then out of nowhere, it was New Year's Eve, people everywhere. This guy, I'm in a group of people, and he comes in, he, someone grabs my arm and pulls me out. And it was a Scottish guy, I, I assume, because he said, are you a Christian? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. He says, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you going to live like all of this, like all of these people? Or are you going to follow Christ? And he walked away. And it really it was one of those, like, jolts to the system. It was one of those, it's a, it's a turning point for me. And God used it to draw me back to him. I'd gone through a lot of things. I'd lost a, one of my best friends. And I'd had some family members pass away. And so I just wasn't dealing with it well. And I just ran. But God and his love through this Scottish man with a cool accent pulled me back. It took a little while longer, but that was the jolt in the system. It was the love of Christ pursuing us, this steadfast, abounding love that is greater than we can fathom comes after us. Well, in this first John passage, there are two things that we see about the love of God, and that God is love. But it's here that love is from God, 
in that it is who he is. All true love finds its source in him. Now, I read this again this week, and it's so interesting because if I, if I describe this passage, you're going to know exactly what it is because it's read at probably every wedding, right? 1 Corinthians 13. And it's one of those things that becomes so familiar that you, you almost, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's beautiful to read it at a wedding, but you probably need it about three months later when you've had your first blow up and fight. And then everyone after to remember that love is what? Patient, kind. It does not boast. It does not envy. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, not easily angered, keeps no records of wrong, does not delight in evil, rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's describing who God is, right? That he is kind, he's patient, he is not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrong for you because he's poured that on Christ. Christ paid the penalty for our sin for us. His love never fails. God is love. It's who he is. He's the author of it. It comes from him. And we can rest in knowing these truths about him. His love is unfathomable. And there's several passages that talk about these prayers, like pray that you would know how deep and how wide and how long the love of God is. And we never will. We never will. I have this quote from a hymn. It's an old hymn called The Love of God. And this is the third stanza. And there's an interesting story behind this, this stanza. It was found written on the inside of an insane asylum, I believe. But it says this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every scribe and everyone a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. And that paints a beautiful picture, though we don't run out of ink as much anymore with Apple pencils and such, but if you get the picture of the ocean being drained dry, and it still wouldn't, it still wouldn't come close to describing or to writing about the love of God. And the only response that we can have to that is, whoa, wow, that's who God is. And this God who is magnificent beyond our comprehension, he loves you. He loves me. It's our second point this morning is that God loves you. Now, my tendency here is to say, no, I, got, I got that. I got it. You know, I, I got an A-plus in vacation Bible school. I got this. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Got it. I can even sing it in Chinese. So I, I got a double, double score there, whatever. But it becomes so familiar, so trite, that it just, just kind of flies over our head. And I have no hair to catch it. So it just flies right over. But we need to sit in it. Do you, do you grasp that? Do you grasp what that means? It's so simple. But it will change your life to know that the God of the universe loves you in all your crap, in all your sin, in all your brokenness, in all your wounds. He loves you. 
You are his beloved. And this is really why I chose the ESV this morning, because that first word, um, beloved, is really powerful. And there's so much in that. The NIV says, dear friends. And now we can read dear friends as just a salutation. Like, oh, dear friends, like dear wellspring. But it's so much more. It's this word agape with an ending that makes it loved ones. And so beloved, so ones who are loved, ones who are deeply loved. And then he goes on to say what he needs to say. Is that let us love one another. But as a believer, that you are a dearly loved child of God. Dearly loved. I have a couple of quotes here. One by, first one by John Owen that says, The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Now, I don't think John Owen's point, nor mine, is to heap guilt on us. Like, well, okay, I just, there's one more thing. I don't, I don't, I know. And I struggle with that, and so I've heaped that on him. But he's a lot bigger than that. But the point is to remind us that God loves us in spite of who we are. He loves us in the midst of our unbelief. He loves us in the rough places. He loves us in the smooth places. He loves the warts, the wounds, and all your intricacies. Well, he created you. And he created you to know him. And to know that you're loved by him. The next quote is by St. Augustine. Or St. Augustine. I learned in seminary, if you say Augustine, it makes you sound a little smarter. So that's, that's, that was worth my education, right? But, so just sit with this for a second. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. Now, I love this quote because it shows the greatness of God's love, yet the individual, particular nature that is applied directly to you, and to you, and to you, is that he loves you individually. And I think we can often get lost in the crowd. Maybe some of you try to get Taylor Swift tickets this week. And you felt lost in the crowd. I didn't. But, but you felt lost in the crowd. There's this, this queue that goes on forever and ever. It's like, but what if Taylor Swift called you or sent you a text and said, here's a link to your ticket because you're special. That would make some of your days. But, but God has done that infinitely more in that he didn't die for a nameless mass of potential followers. He died for you and for me by name. Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world, I chose you. In Christ. John 3.16, I've heard, I've heard it used this way, and this is what you can do with this. It says, for God so loved Ben Palmer, or God so loved, insert your name, that he gave his one and only son, that when he believes in him, he will never perish, but have eternal life. God loved you so much that he has done that for you and for me. And this is true. It's truth. And you may wrestle with it, but it's true. And we'll spend the rest of our lives and really all of eternity trying to grasp that. But it really should rock you a little bit. 
in a good way this morning. Verse 9, this morning it says, In this the love of God was made manifest, or the love of God was shown to us, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big word, but it means atoning sacrifice for our sins. It means that he paid the penalty. It means that he took our place. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does that all mean? It means that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserve to die. He took our place. He became an atoning sacrifice. He paid the penalty. But not only that, he didn't just die, but he rose again. And this passage even talks about we have life in him. That it's not just you got, got a clean slate. Like, no, he gave you new life. He gave you his identity. He gave you identity in him. And that if you know Christ, the minute you trust in him, you have eternal life. It's not something that we graduate into when we die. It starts right there and goes on through eternity. Because we'll need all of eternity to grasp the love of God for us. You know, if, if you wrestle with this, that's, it's really okay. God's a lot bigger than you think he is. And my guess is that if you're here this morning, that God's brought you here, and he's patient, and he's waiting for you to come to grips with how much he loves you. He's at work. All you have to do is surrender to his love and surrender to the good news of what Jesus has done. And as Martin Luther, his conversion prayer was this. He's like, I'm yours, save me. This is really simple. So all that's background. So that's kind of the, where we've been thus far. So now we get to the point of becoming love. And so we're good, I think, on time. Um, so I have a quote here that will transition us into this. And some of you guys may remember this. I've shared this before. It's one of these that someone shared with me, and it just gripped me. It says this, the only people who ever get any better are the ones that know that if they never get any better, that God loves them just the same. So the only people who ever become love are the ones that know that if they never do, God loves you just the same because it doesn't depend on you. It's what Jesus has done for you. But in that, knowing this, you're set free. Like You don't have to. You get to. You get to love others. You get to become the love of God. You can express the love of God without trying to gain love first. I think some of us are so blinded, we feel so unloved that we are blinded by that, and it doesn't allow us to love other people because we're, we're trying to gain approval. We're trying to gain something that we already have in Christ. And so when you grasp the love of God for you, it frees you to love others, to become love to others. And I know I struggle with pleasing people. I struggle with trying to earn my worth. And again and again, I need to be reminded is that you're already there. And you get to walk in that. He's called us to obedience. And there are many passages 
that say the way you show your love is through your obedience, but it's also grasping what he's done for us and this compelling nature of his love. Knowing your identity in Christ, knowing that he loves you, being born of God, as that passage talks about, and knowing him, and that because of that, because you're his, because you belong to him, because you're his identity, that love is a natural expression. Love is the natural fruit. If you walk with Christ, and if you spend time with him, that love's just gonna, it's gonna play out in your life. Now look again at verse 11. It says, Beloved, if God loves us, then we ought. And there's that compelling nature, that we ought to love one another. The compelling nature of the love of Christ is where we started this morning, is that for Christ, love compels us. And that word compels, some translations will say controls, but it's this idea of, of like, it, it means like to hold together, like to force together into an action. It's a really cool, cool picture, is that the love of Christ, you can think of it, it compels me into action. It also kind of constrains and there are times where the love of Christ has kept me from saying things that had I said them, it would have been hurtful, and so on. That's how the love of God works in us. And then, and then there's verse 12, which is interesting. It says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us, made complete. So how is it perfected in us? There's a story that John Piper tells in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And it's about a missionary, an indigenous missionary in India. And he walked barefoot from village to village, um, sharing the gospel, preaching. And so he comes to this particular village, and they spurn him. They make fun of him. They, they, uh, they don't beat him up, but they, he is, just feels dejected. And he leaves that village and goes outside the village, lays down under a tree. He's exhausted from the day and falls asleep. He wakes up, and then the whole village is gathered around him. And they said, we came to see what kind of man you are. And we saw your blistered feet. We knew that you must be a holy man because you loved us so much to want to share your message. So we felt, and they had this repentance, and they said, we were evil to reject you, and we want to hear what you have to say. So he became love. He expressed the love of God. And so if we look at our outline, God is love, God loves us, God's love compels, and the next slide is really, is that God's love compels you to become love to others, to become the expression of his, his love to others. So how do we do this? I've got three, three things, and then we'll have a little bit of discussion and it's really simple. It's uh, think big, go deep, start small. So think, think big, which is really the first point. God is love. God is, as we sung earlier, God's a whole lot bigger than you thought. And I want really quickly to go back to Exodus 34. And uh, it's page 127 in your Bible. We won't spend a whole lot of time there. It's the, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And it goes on and then... In your Bibles, there's a paragraph break, but there's really no paragraph break there in the original text. But it says, verse 6, so all this, before that, all this is who God is. 
And then Moses responds. And how do you think he responds? Moses quickly bowed his head to the earth and worshiped. So when Moses came to grips with who God is, and that he was like, wow. And he worshiped. And that's really what worship is. It's not just singing songs, but it's standing in awe of who God is. That he's a whole lot bigger than we think. He's a whole lot more powerful than we think. His love is greater than we think and can imagine. But start there. Think big. Like, come back to who, who God is. And if I could encourage you on a daily basis or on a regular basis, uh, John, not John, um, I'm trying to think of his name now. Jerry Bridges is one of my favorite authors. He was a navigator. He was just kind of a regular guy, but wrote many books. But he said this, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. And for a long time, I've, I've grasped that, but I think what it really means is that as much as I can, I need to come to grips with who God is and be in awe. I was like, whoa. And as I read over the past couple of weeks on the love of God, there are many times you're like, whoa. This God is the God who loves me. So think big, go deep. As we talked about a few weeks ago, receiving God's love is, is believing that, believing that God loves you. And then allowing it into the deep recesses of your heart and soul, into the parts of you that are, that, are, that are wounds, where you've maybe had counseling and stuff, is that God loves you even there. So go deep. And then start small. And that's the hands-on. So really you've got your head, your heart, and your hands. So do you struggle with loving others? Well, start small. Maybe speak that, that word that needs to be said. I think of... I was sitting back there as we were singing, just thinking about turning points in my life and that, that conversation in Trafalgar Square uh, 20 years ago lasted probably 20 seconds. It changed my life. I think of 10 or so other conversations that were probably 20 seconds long that are turning points. And you have the opportunity, whether you know it or not, to do that to those around you, just being aware and starting small. So that's it. So do you have, here's the question before we transition to the next thing this morning. What are some ways that you can start small? Or what are some of your key takeaways from this series? We'll have a couple people share. This is the non-rhetorical portion. Buses will wait. Anyone? Mm It's really the, the key thing. If you get this, everything else starts to fall into place. But it's the hardest thing to grasp because when we sin and we mess up, like we almost have this idea of I'm going to put some time in between me and that, then I'll feel better, you know, as opposed to like God loves me even, even now. He's already paid for that. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. And that's powerful.
Anyone else? Well, as we transition now, this is a time for communion. And um, what a better way to see the love of Christ made, made manifest, shown to us, demonstrated to us, is that we take bread that's been broken. It was a symbol of his body being broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. And we get to participate in that, to remember, to be nourished spiritually. And so it's a way that we continue our worship and also a great way to transition us into the next season as we celebrate the coming of Christ. So let me pray for us. Father, we come this morning. We thank you. It's, it's a simple message that you are love. You love us and you've called us to become love to others. And that whole becoming part is, it's, it's a tough part, but it's really or preceded by the first, that if we go deep into who you are and how much you love us, Lord, it will play out. We will be changed. We will be transformed. We will say things like, wow, I didn't know that was in me in a good way. Lord, your fruit will be born in us in ways that we will be surprised because it's your, your love and it's the promise that you've made us that you will bring to completion the work that you've begun in us. And we're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful for all the ways that you have loved us in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp how long, how wide, how deep, how great, how powerful, how strong, how amazing your love is, and that you love each one of us with that kind of love, with a love so big that it blows our minds. And so, Lord, I do pray one thing this morning, that you would blow us away with the love of God in, so, in such a way that we would become that type of love to the world around us. And we pray this in Christ's name.